Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. For two years, Jensen has been the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Missouri. That makes him the St. Louis area's top federal law enforcement officer. His office handles everything from racketeering cases to civil forfeiture. And under Jensen, it has made violent crime in St. Louis a particular focus. And he's here today to talk to us about it. Jeff Jensen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Sarah. So, Jeff, your office had a big week last week. Tell us about Operation Triple Beam. Triple Beam was an, an operation uh, led by the U.S. Marshals Service. Um, they, they targeted uh, people with outstanding felony warrants that were gang members or violent criminals. Um, so it was a tremendous effort to first locate all of these people and then took quite a bit of bravery to arrest them all. There were four shootings involved, uh, but in the end, 162 uh, felons were arrested. And again, it was led by the Marshal Service, but it was also a cooperation among many law enforcement agencies, the Highway Patrol, the city, the county, North County Police Cooperative, DEA, St. Charles, St. Anne, Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, just a large group of people focused on getting the worst of the worst off the streets. And when you say four shootings involved, meaning four people came out shooting, four people they didn't want to go. Shot at, the, at, shot at law enforcement. Uh, nobody was hurt. Um, they're very professional um, and, and very well trained, so nobody was hurt. But it's dangerous work, and I really appreciate what they did. And these sound like exactly the kind of people we want to see being taken off the streets. Absolutely, there were there were members of, of a number of gangs: uh, the Wellston Boys, the Twenty Seven Accomac Gangster Crips, the College and Carter Crips, Forty One Delmar Mob, and the Murda Gang. Hmm. So um, it was it was a successful operation, and, and we'll keep doing it. So one of the guys that you reportedly picked up was Malik Ross. Um, he's suspected in the killing of seven-year-old Xavier Usenka, who was shot um, while playing in his yard in North St. Louis um, a few months ago. And Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner has declined so far to charge him in that case. You guys picked him up. What's his status right now? Right now he's charged, so I can't say much about the case other than what's public, but he's charged um, federally. Um, as well as his aunt, who has been charged um, uh, for theft of funds, um, essentially bank money. Um, that, that's what he's charged with, and I can't really say much more than that. Okay. So he has not yet faced charges in the Xavier Usanga shooting. That's but correct. he's being held. That's correct. Okay. Now, one side note, I saw you guys got a lot of bad guys, and I got to admit, I was kind of surprised to see only $24,000 in cash was seized. Are even the criminals <laughs> going cash-free these days? I don't know why, why there wasn't more money seized. Well, there, I mean, there were 40... looking around the country, it felt like everybody had similarly low numbers on the cash front. A lot of assets. You guys are getting cars left and right, but cash just isn't the game, maybe? I, I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, I hadn't thought of it until you asked the question, but there were 40 guns seized, uh, crime guns, and then about 10 pounds of drugs of various sorts. Okay. So certainly some assets that you guys right. are happy to have. Correct. Now, you were a federal prosecutor for many years, but the office as you're leading it, you've got a different focus than the one that, that you worked in, and the focus is violent crime. I understand that goes back to Jeff Sessions. Has that changed at all with Attorney General Barr being in charge? It's changed a little bit. Um, recently, last week, the Attorney General announced what was called Project Guardian. Um, doesn't change a whole lot of what we do here in St. Louis. It, it's a It's a request or command to all of the U.S. attorneys to focus on uh, violent crimes, uh, coordinate with local officials, local prosecutors. Um, we've been doing that. Um, focus on crime guns, which is using the forensics from shooting scenes and comparing them shooting scene to shooting scene and then going over after those active shooters. So we've been doing all that. 
Uh, what I think we'll do more of probably is focus on guns that are sold outside of legal channels. They're typically called lie and buy or lie and try cases where people who are prohibited from having a firearm try to purchase a firearm. So we'll start going after those pretty aggressively. So would these be something where you guys would be out there um, having undercover people trying to sell guns and, and seeing who picks up on it? Well, trying to buy guns. Trying right, to buy guns, right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, undercovers are people working with law enforcement as, as um Informants. It's an interesting focus coming from Attorney General Barr since the Trump administration has been, um, you know, they believe in the right to bear arms. But this is a particular circumstance where it sounds like they really want to focus on the wrong kind of guns being off right. the streets. Right. I don't think anybody supports the right of convicted felons to, to have firearms. So that's what we're going after. And we, we, we can only prosecute when there are, when there are federal uh, offenses involved. So that felon in possession is a big one. We do quite a few of those. Then also carjackings and what are called Hobbs Act robberies, but the robbery of a business because of its interstate nexus allows us to have federal jurisdiction. I've been interested to see how many Hobbs Act cases seem to be coming out of your office. And it seems like historically these are things that we might count on the circuit attorney handling. And instead, we're seeing federal prosecutors take on these cases. Um, what's the reasoning in that? We have in the federal system, we have we have more resources. We have better resources. So we have a low recidivism rate. Um, it, it's nothing I do, but the probation office here in the Eastern District of Missouri is the best in the country. They have about a 7.5% recidivism rate compared to national averages of 70 or 80%. That seems remarkable. It is remarkable. And they, they do it by, by getting people quality jobs. I mean, first, they're, they're often life issues. It's a holistic approach that need to be addressed. And then we have reentry courts for certain types of criminals and make sure they have a job that's a, that they can be proud of. And that's what really makes a difference. So they have about 4.5% unemployment, again, about 7.5% recidivism. And you say that their percentage is, is so much lower um, recidivism-wise than even other federal agencies in the country. Are they doing different things here than other federal probation offices? I think they're, they're, they're doing more of the same things, um, as I, I guess is the best way to summarize it. But they, they handle, uh, they have, <coughs> excuse me, uh, reentry courts. Um, for uh, gang members. They have one for people who have drug addictions, one for people with mental health problems, another with veterans. And they just closely supervise people, but make sure that they, primarily that they have a job that they can be proud of. They start with, they start with asking people what they would like to do. And then they, they pursue that kind of a career for that person. And they treat people with respect as they come out of prison. And I think that's what makes the difference. So that seems like the good side of, of handling more people through the federal system. It seems like the flip side to that is historically, being in the federal system, you're probably looking at more prison time than somebody coming out of state court. Are you worried that, um, that maybe some of these people are ending up seeing more time than they should just because it ends up being a federal offense as opposed to something on the state level? I, I'm not worried about people getting more time than they should. I don't think that's, uh, that's, that's not my concern. I don't think that's what happens. Um, we, we have a, a, a very success. We, first of all, we have just tremendous prosecutors in the U.S. Attorney's Office. We have about 70 really experienced talented, dedicated prosecutors, and they treat each case with, with, with care and try to get to the right, the right answer. So um, I don't think um, we have to worry about people getting too much time. Um, sometimes uh, we, we wish people would get more time than they did, but um, typically uh, it, the, the judges uh, and the prosecutors and the defense bar, they, they get it right. How much of a sea change has it been, this focus on violent crime versus, say, white-collar type offenders? Is, is there a significant percentage of your office's work that has slid from one category to the other? 
Um, well, we we do we 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 do everything. I mean, we have a, a large uh, portfolio of cases. I mean, the, the we do white collar crime cases, which are mostly embezzlement or elder fraud cases. Lately, um, we have public corruption cases that have that have that I think people know about. Um, intellectual property theft, computer hacking. We have terrorism cases, which here are usually support of terrorists overseas financially. Uh, we have an, an awful lot of human trafficking and child exploitation cases, hate crimes, civil rights violations, and then the firearms and the drug cases. So we're doing everything, but you're right. When you when you do more of the violent crime prosecutions, something has to give. And what 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 has to give is we have fewer prosecutors doing the other kinds of cases, but they're just doing more with less. They're working so hard. They're so talented that the the number of prosecutions in all those other areas are up as well as violent crime prosecutions. Really? The yes. numbers are up even with everything else you guys have, have chosen to take on? Correct. And it's just it's just the, the talent of the prosecutors there. Have you had to stop bringing, say, more complex cases that, that might take more time and, and sort of focus on knowing you can get this guy, so let's go for him? No, we really haven't. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing every case that comes in that's, that, that should be a federal case. We're not declining any, and we're doing them quickly, um, especially in the violent crime cases. I think there's a, there's a need to get people off the street. Um, once someone becomes an active shooter, that usually continues until they're locked up. So we try to get them as quickly as possible. Do you have any sense of how fast you're able to move cases in the system versus, say, the circuit court system? I've heard you guys are just so much faster. We are fast. Um, I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with their system, but um, we try to indict cases within the first month if we can, if we have all the evidence. Um, if not, we start we start. Uh, pushing hard on those cases to get all the evidence. And um, once you're in that first month, how long generally does it take somebody to get to the point of being sentenced? Usually it's about six months or so throughout the process. So um, that does seem relatively swift. Right. And it depends on whether they, they plead guilty or not. And and frankly, most of the people end up being detained after they're arrested. So they're off the street for that whole period of time. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit more about that whole violent crime focus. Um, the circuit attorney in St. Louis, Kim Gardner, she's had some major staff turnover. She's also taken a break or a step back from prosecuting some kind of offenses like some drug crimes. Have the feds in some part been stepping in to fill that void um, of what her office is not doing or, or doesn't want to do? Really, we, we coordinate with, with her office and with the county prosecutor's office on, on a, at least a daily basis. Uh, we go through every case, and we prosecutors in her office and my office decide uh, which ones should be prosecuted federally and which ones should not. If there if there's no federal crime involved, then then we're there, we don't have a choice. We can't prosecute those cases. But um, as far as the categories of cases, I mean, I, I my my view is that that prosecutors have discretion um, on a case by case basis. But I don't feel as though I have the discretion to not prosecute an entire category of cases. Mm-hmm. Is there ever a point where you find yourself in sort of a fundamental disagreement with Gardner's office? They think they should take a case. You guys think you should take a case? Oh, I, I, for the 30 years or so I've been involved in this system from one vantage point or another, those, those conversations are, are common. Um, I think they're actually, I think we've had fewer of them in the last couple of years than, than um, historical. Um, so it's just, it's, it is a collaborative effort. Of course, there's every now and then there'll be a disagreement. We're talking to U.S. Attorney Jeff Jensen, uh, who's the top federal law enforcement officer here in the Eastern District of Missouri. Um, The St. Louis police have been really harshly critical of Gardner and vice versa. You spoke a little bit about your working relationship with her office. It sounds Mm -hmm. like that's pretty solid. What about your relationship with them? 
with the I, I I have nothing but the greatest respect for the for the police officers in the city and the county and and the leaders of those offices. Uh, John Hayden, uh, commissioner, is just uh, a terrific guy, um, fantastic leader. Same with Judge Edwards. Same with with Chief Belmar. I work closely with them. I have the greatest respect for them and all those officers, and they're they're doing really dangerous work, and they're out there. Uh, with the federal agents on a day-to-day basis, whether it's ATF, FBI, DEA, Secret Service, ICE, or the postal inspectors, it's just a constant collaboration, and I, um, I, I'm, I'm honored to work with them. And yet, you're prosecuting the officers who are accused of, of beating one of their own when he was there undercover, and you know, as he told a friend, they they beat him as if he was quote like Rodney King. This was a, a pretty severe thing, and they were sort of openly texting their colleagues about this, like, yeah, let's go, let's go beat some of these protesters. Does a situation like that kind of shake your faith a little bit in the St. Louis police? Um, well, I can't talk about any ongoing cases, um, so that's an ongoing matter. I can't, I can't talk about that specifically. In general, um, you know, we prosecute police uh, just like we would prosecute anybody else. If there's evidence of a federal crime, we prosecute them. There's, um, it, that's, that's all there is to it. People have questioned why the only officers charged for beating protesters are the officers who beat this undercover cop. You know, they were sort of, they weren't looking for a colleague to go get. They were just looking for a protester to get. Will we possibly see more prosecutions that come out of what happened on the night of that kettle or other nights where there was um, police and protester um, people going head to head. Well, I mean, we prosecute the cases when we have evidence. So, so the fact that the victim in that case happened to be an undercover police officer uh, doesn't impact the decision as to whether or not we prosecuted. If we had other uh, evidence of other civil rights violations that we could prove in court, we'd be prosecuting those as well. But we need people to. Uh, come forward and tell us about things that happened, and we need evidence to support what they said. So if we have it, we go forward. If not, not. Have you been paying attention to some of the stuff that's come out in civil court where the ACLU was making a case that they thought the cops were out of line, and, and the judge in that case did agree? Um, is that something that you guys have been monitoring? or uh, we, we just monitor for, the, um, for looking for federal crimes if they were committed. Um, that's, that's really our role. And honestly, we have probably a thousand cases pending at any one time, and that's plenty to You guys worry handle a about. lot. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a new law recently passed in the city to notify police if a buyer of a gun fails a background check. Um, and I know sometimes the concern is that there's all these laws on the books, things don't end up getting enforced. Do you think that's going to be an effective tool to keeping gun violence under control? Well, I think anything that, that helps us track uh, illegal gun sales is, is good. Um, however, we already get information from the ATF about people that, that as I said, lie and buy, lie and try cases where they're, um, people attempt to get a firearm even though they're a convicted felon or they get one. Um, so we get that information and we prosecute those cases. I think we'll probably increase those prosecutions in the near future. Okay. But so that's already something that you have the tools to we, handle. We have those tools, correct. Okay. So uh, I feel like every time I look at what your office is doing, there is case after case where you guys are getting felons in possession and you are going after these guys that are doing armed robberies and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, and yet for all those efforts, it has been a really bloody year in St. Louis. And, you know, we've got the circuit attorney out there working. We've got you guys putting all this additional manpower into it. Um, has it been frustrating to see that, that the crime rate in the city, it just doesn't seem to be dropping. Very much so. It's extremely frustrating. Um, we, uh, I, I, get, I think if we were not aggressively prosecuting as we are, the crime rate would probably be worse. Even higher. Right. But we're, we're obviously a short-term uh, solution. The long-term solution uh, 
comes from the groups we work with on a regular basis, the Urban League Save Our Sons program, for example, uh, getting people jobs in the city, and, and in, in particular in the Chief's Rectangle, Better Family Life, doing their de-escalations, father support, reconnecting uh, fathers with their families. D- Demetrius Johnson Foundation does quite a bit of job training uh, and helping youth out. So those groups are, are, are really the, the long-term solution. We are we are um, a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Now, the city recently put a lot of eggs in one basket with this Cure Violence program. Do you have hopes that that's going to end up leading to some long-term change? Do you think they, they picked the right basket? I, I certainly have hopes. Um, I, I'm in favor of anything that, that uh, any, any efforts to try to reduce the violent crime are good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their Better Family Life does very similar work here already, so hopefully they're going to be working together. I think that's the thought process um, currently. Um, but I'm in favor of anything that, that might help reduce the crime rate. Okay. Well, there's some very serious issues your office is dealing with, and it sounds like you guys are on it. So, We're trying. We're doing the best we can. But again, it's, it's, it's not me. I, it's the prosecutors that work there that are so talented. My job is to set the priorities and then just get out of their way and let them do their jobs. Jeff Jensen, U.S. Attorney for Missouri's Eastern District, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. And good luck with those ongoing efforts. Thanks. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.